We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Let's open in prayer as we get ready for the word. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Guide and lead us. Show us what you would want us to see from this parable that we're going to read. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2 because it is the foundation for the story coming in. And then we're going to go to verse 11. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of the goods that fall to me. And he divided them into his living. And not many days after, the youngest son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted all his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have feigned to have eaten, filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man would give to, unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the, the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring here the, calf, the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. And for this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found, or he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now the elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called unto one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Wherefore the father came out and entreated him. And, and he answered him, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve you. Neither transgressed I at any time your commandments, and yet you have never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as, such as, but as soon as this your son has come, which has devoured your living with harlots, you have killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was meant that we should make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Long portion for this long, the story, but there is so much in this story that I couldn't take it last week with the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep. All three of these stories was Jesus talking to the scribes and Pharisees who were complaining to him what are you hanging out with these sinners for? You know, and this is something that's quite interesting. We hear it in churches all the time. Why are you Christian? You know, they'll go, why are you as a Christian hanging out with all those sinners? Well, there's a problem if we don't hang out with some sinners once in a while, we have nobody to evangelize. 
All right. Now, I said last week of the same thing. If we're always hanging out with sinners, we might have a problem. <laughs> the other direction would be to always be with them and probably be drugged down. But Jesus was the Son of God, and he brought sinners to him. And the key to this was they came to him. You know, he wasn't going out and seeking them out. He wasn't saying, well, let me go to the bar and just hang out at the bar for a while and see how many sinners I can get attracted to me. Every time we read it, the sinners come to him. And this is really for us. Are we living a lifestyle that sinners come to us to find out what's going on? You know, when we're around people, do they know that we're different than they are? You know, when we talk to people, do we participate in the same conversations they do, make fun of people, talk about the same sins, you know, and the same activities, or do we, do they know that we have the joy of the Lord and that we have strength in our, in our life? And this is all critical to, to how we are with people. Now, initially, what they'll do is they'll reject us and they'll want to stay away. But you know what? After that, they're watching us. They're going, does this person actually live the way they say they do. Now, I think they're smart enough to know that we're not perfect. Hopefully we're not in trying to give out the projection that we are perfect. But they're looking at us and saying, does this person generally believe and act the way they say that they're going to be? Do they have a belief in something that is worth going through hard times for? Now, this is something for us as Christians in America, we've been really spoiled because we don't suffer for Christianity for that, for that much. Much of the world, they can lose their job, they can lose their homes, they can lose their life for being a Christian. I really don't think we're far off from having those kind of things happening in our country, especially the way things are moving and how quickly things are moving that direction. There's laws right now before Congress that can take away our religious rights if they go through. And, you know, granted, they'll go to the Supreme Court, and with our current makeup of the court, we'd probably win. But who knows what will happen by the time it goes to court. There could be some retirements. There could be an you know, ex expansion of the court. There could be any number of things to take away our rights. But do you believe enough in what God says to suffer for it? Now, I hope so. I hope that when it's time for me that I will say, yes, I'm willing to suffer. I really think I would, but who knows when it's time to face that. But the real key is, do we have something that's worth suffering for? Absolutely. The disciples, when they were suffering, kept going, you know, thank God we were worthy, found worthy to suffer. We need to have that attitude. And here, Jesus is being criticized because he is willing to talk to sinners. Now, the sad thing about it is the scribes and Pharisees did not think that they were sinners. Now, they had deceived themselves. Because <laughs> the one thing I know is everybody that I know, everybody in this room, everybody in this town are sinners, including me. The scribes and Pharisees thought that they weren't sinners. They go, we're so perfect, we never do anything wrong. Jesus, why are you hanging out with all those sinners? And Jesus was the only one that could have said, I'm not a sinner, but I'm going to still hang out with them. So his story was that this man had two boys. And the youngest one comes up to him and says, Father, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you're dead. Really, that's what he's told him. You know, I want my portion now. Kind of sounds like our generation, doesn't it? 
give me what I give me what I deserve and give it to me now. I don't want to wait. This was the young younger son's attitude. And some some of the pastors have said basically he was said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me my inheritance. And this is really is kind of what he's saying. God, uh, Father, I just can't wait for you to die. I want my money and I want it now. That's a pretty bold statement to come up and tell Dad, I want my inheritance now. And we look at this lifestyle, and the oldest son is not recorded much until the end of the story. We're talking a lot, a lot about him in just a in, when we get there. Uh, but the youngest son tells him, I want my inheritance now. And surprisingly, the father says, okay, fine, you can have your, your portion of the inheritance. Now, if you understand, this would mean that he would get one-third of the estate because there were two boys involved, so they would break it up into three parts. The older brother would get a double portion. So one-third of everything the father owns is liquidated and given to this young man. Now, I don't know how many of you know, but what happens to most people when they get instant wealth? It goes to their head, and it's going to go to the head of this young man. And it says that he, after a few days, leaves home and leaves the city. Now, after a few days kind of indicates, and I was listening to somebody today, and he stole my thunder, but kind of indicates that uh, he had already planned on leaving. He already had this plan. God, I just Father, I want a lot of money, and I'm going to, I'm going to, go to, I'm going to leave Dodge, and I'm going to go where I can have some fun where nobody knows me. Nobody's going to be able to go and see me and, and report to you, you know, what's going on. I'll be able to do what I want because nobody will know me where I'm at. How many times do we try to do the same thing with our sin? All right, can't do it, can't do it here in the, in the neighborhood. I've got to go someplace else to sin because nobody knows me in that place and I can get away with it. Yeah. Really sad thought process, you know. Well, if we as Christians especially understand that God is omnipresent, he's wherever we go. And yet how many times do we try to go someplace where nobody knows us to sin so that nobody knows what's going on and forget that God's already there? This young man goes on and it says he lived in, in Luke, he lived in riotous living. Now this word was very in interesting because riotous is quite descriptive in and of itself. But in, in the Greek, it meant unruly, depraved, debaucherous, without restraint, and habitually going against morals. It's a very strong word. He went out and lived the lifestyle he thought that he wanted to live. He went out and probably spent all day long in the bars and the and the saloons, taverns, whatever you want to call it, picking up women on his way, way out the door, buying drinks for everybody in the tavern. And eventually, as all people that live that lifestyle do, ran out of money. Now, it's an amazing fact that if you have money to buy things for people, you have lots of friends. The moment you run out of money, you lose a lot of friends because they weren't really friends to begin with. And so this young man in a town far from home has no money. He's bought the drinks, he's bought the food, he's bought the, bought the entertainment, whatever it might be. He has spent all his money. He spent a third of his father's wages, which seems to have been quite, quite wealthy because he says, my father has servants who are all well taken care of. 
He was li from living in the lap of luxury, but not able to use all that money because he didn't know how to use it, to being given all this money. He could have he could have set himself up. Sounds like he could have set himself up with a nice ho nice home, put some investments out there, put some money in the bank, and probably lived the rest of his life. But you know, the sad thing is, most people, when they get a large sum of money, do not know how to handle it. The Proverbs tell us that money quickly gained is quickly lost. You know, and we see it over and over. You know, we see it in athletes, we see it in, in movie stars and, and singers and everything. They get their really first big break. They get that million dollar contract, two million dollar contract and immediately spend it and get to the end of their end of their career and have nothing left because usually others have helped spend it. Especially a lot of times when these guys come out of the the, the, the uh, slums and everything and they bring their friends up with them and their friends help them spend their money <laughs> until they have to go back to the projects because there's no more money left. We need to be careful about who we're making friends with. We need to be careful that we're not trying to suck people dry ourselves. Because sometimes it's, you know, I've met people who go, well, I gotta get friends with that person over there. They got a little bit of money. They can take care of me. You know, and they use people. It is human nature to use people. And we need to be able to say, God, I don't want to use people. This young man had you got used, wanted to be used, wanted to be popular, wanted to be the big shot. And then it says there was a great famine in the land. Now, I think sometimes for us as Christians, what is the famine that we face most often is not necessarily food, but a famine for the word of God, a famine for God himself. And I think that was both of it for him. He had abandoned God in his, in his home. He had turned away from everything that he had learned. And now a famine, he's hungry. He has nothing spiritually to depend on. He is probably not even in Israel at this time, so there's no synagogue or worship place for him to go to. And all of a sudden, everything is against him. How many times have we been in a place where it seems like everything is against us? We're going, God, I have no money, I have no friends, I have no, God, where are you? And this is this young man's attitude. God, where are you? I've been, I've been having a great big party. I've been having fun. How long does the world's fun last before it burns out and burns us out? You know, and we see it over and over. It doesn't matter what your sin of choice is, alcohol, drugs, uh, sex, work, family, whatever it might be, eventually it doesn't fulfill. You know, there are many women who have devoted themselves, at least in the old days, to their family. And they took care of their family and took care of their family and poured everything they had into their family. And then one day their family moves away. And all of a sudden, everything that they devoted their life to is totally empty. Many husbands would you know, devote themselves to work. Got to be number one in the company. Got to be, be number one. Got to make all the bonuses. And then gets close to the end of it and there's some new hotshot coming up and nobody cares about them anymore. Or they retire and, and have no work to, work to go into. And it's empty. Those who have spent time in drugs and alcohol know that it, it burns out after a while. 
and you get left behind with nothing. This is this young man's plight. He is left with nothing. And he goes, I need a job. And he goes and finds a job. Good Jewish boy feeding pigs. <laughs> now, you have to understand that statement. Pigs are unclean animals to the Jew. They don't, they don't raise pigs. They don't eat pigs. They don't keep pigs. And his only job that he could find was feeding the pigs. How far had he sunk? Hi, Dad. Uh, got a job today. I'm feeding pigs. <laughs> Granted, he's not making phone calls or letters to his dad because he's totally separated, but can you imagine that conversation? Dad got a wonderful job today. I'm feeding the pigs. <laughs> You're doing what? <laughs> what are you doing? And his wages are so bad that he's looking at the slop that he's feeding the pigs and saying, I'd like to eat this stuff. What about the depravity that we lived in probably before we were saved, hopefully, and maybe even after saved if you walked away from God? Have you ever gotten to the place where you're looking around and saying, look at all this garbage that I'm, I'm dealing with, but I am so hungry, I want it because I don't have what God has for me. This is a sad place to be in. And many times... All of us have been there. Sometimes even after we're saved, we'll turn our back on God and end up so down far in the gut. And it's even worse for us if we turn our back on him as, as believers because we know what we should be living like. And this is where he was also. He goes, I used to have a nice bedroom. I used to have a nice table set out in front of me when I ate with my dad and my brother and the servants took care of us. I used to be in charge of everybody working and helping out with that. Now here I am feeding pigs and I'm so hungry I want their food. That's a long fall. That is a long fall and most everybody gets there at some point in their life. If you're right before you get saved or sometimes even after you're saved if you're not living, living for God. And I love this statement, and when he had come to himself, he got humbled. And he's looking and saying, you know what? I'm going to go back to dad. <laughs> Not that I deserve to be, you know, and this is how humble he goes, I don't deserve to be his son anymore. But dad took care of his servants. His servants weren't looking for food. His servants weren't looking for a bed. He goes, here I am looking for food, and this pig food looks wonderful. He goes, I think I'm going to go back to dad. Humbled. We as people like to think that we can do things our own way. You know, all of us, some, some of us to a greater degree than others. I'm a manager. I like to do things my way. And I have, that's one of my biggest struggles between me and God is letting him do what he wants instead of me doing what I want. But to be humbled and say, God, I want you. Here is this young man. We know him as the prodigal son, the one living in right is living. He comes to his senses and says, my dad's servants have more food than I have. They are well taken care of. 
this guy that I'm working for, he is using me, he is not giving me what I need. And this is what happens when we work for Satan and the world system. He does not give us what we need. He promises you're going to be all happy. You know, the very first sin was, has God really said? He goes, and he told, then he told Eve, God is trying to keep you down because he knows the day you eat of that tree, you will be like God. And we have suffered ever since because of that, that sin. And his sin is still the same one. If you just do these things, you're going to be happy and you're going to be pleased and you're going to live a good life. And then we take a bite of that bait and there's a hook in it. Yeah. And that hook snags us and makes us captive. And if we don't get to a place where we repent and humble ourselves, we stay captive for the rest of our life. And this is something we need to understand. Jesus understood that these publicans and sinners were captured by sin. They had no way out of their captivity without him. We have no cap way out of our captivity of sin without Je turning back to Jesus. And I know that everybody in this room has a problem because we all have some problem that captures us. I have my issues. I know where they are and I and sometimes fall for them. Even though I know where they're at, I sometimes fall for them. And I'm going, well, and here I am again. I bit the hook. <laughs> and here I am again. The world doesn't even have that much knowledge that, they, that they've been captured. They don't really understand. All they know is something is wrong and they're not happy. They're not pleased. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's all about Solomon saying that sin is empty. And he goes through and he goes, everything that people want, he says, is empty. He says, having your name in lights is empty. Having your name on all the, all the pieces of property is empty. Having all the money is empty. Having all the, in his case, women was empty. He only had a thousand wives and concubines, just a few. So they're empty. Alcohol, drugs of his day was empty. He said, all of it is vanity. You know, and it's kind of funny when you talk to people and go, well, yeah, I would just like to prove it. Why do you have to prove it? It's already been proved several times. You don't have to read just Solomon. Over and over and over, people say that all these things that you think are going to get you there are empty. What is the only thing that can truly fulfill is God. So he prepares this big, long speech that says, I'm going to go tell my father, God, I have sinned against you, and I am not even worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. He has been broken. He has been broken. He is now in the right spirit to come to God. And I love this. It says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him. The father saw him. What does that mean? God was looking for him. What was the key in all of our other stories? The lamb that got lost, the shepherd went out looking for the lamb. The coin, the, the day's wages that was lost, the woman looked for the, for the coin. What is this story following that same suit? The father was looking for the son. Every morning he's probably out there looking out down the street. Is my son finally coming home? Every evening or lunchtime, is my son finally coming home? 
and he saw his son a long way off. He desired his son. Now, I don't know how many of you have had a prodigal in your, in your family or anything, you know, but you know, the prodigal tends to think, well, I'm no longer wanted by my family. They don't, they don't love me. They don't care about me. But you know, most of parents have this attitude of, I would welcome that child back. If they came with the right attitude, they're, they would, they're ready to repent. I want them back. They need to know that. This father, who represents God, wanted his son and was looking for him. And it said while he was a long way off, the father ran to the son. Now, you got to picture this because this is a place where people are very dignified. In a time and age where you were dignified, the father was an older gentleman. He would not run, especially not to that wayward child saying, you know, making that child think, you know, I've been waiting for you. I love you so much. That was not the attitude. You know, this is kind of a twist that Jesus is putting in this story. This story was given to, to the Jewish people all the time, but the way the story would always end was that the father waited for the child to come back, gave him a stern look, and made them the servant. It wasn't that the father was waiting for that child to come back and ran to that child. Jesus is twisting this story from their normal ending. It would be like us hearing the story of the, the rabbit and the turtle racing, and somehow we go, the, the rabbit won. And we'd all go, hold it. That's not the way the story goes. It's supposed to be slow and steady wins the race, not the quickest one there wins the race. This is what Jesus is doing with this story. He is twisting it in a way that is going to shock the leader, the hearers. Like, hold it. We thought we knew this story. We, we knew where this story was going, and now you've got the father running to him? The father is looking for him. Yeah. And maybe they're thinking, okay, the father's going to run with him and beat him, beat him, beat the daylights out of him for even daring to come home. You know, maybe that is what they're expecting the story at this point. But Jesus said he fell on him and hugged him and kissed him. Picture this. He's been feeding the pigs. He has not got nice clothes on when he comes home. He has had no money to buy new clothes. Maybe he found a river someplace to, or a creek to, to clean up a little bit. But he comes up and his father's given him a hug and a kiss and his clothes are a mess. They probably stink like pigs. If you've ever been around pigs, you know the pigs don't smell good at all. He's not in good shape and the father gives him a hug and welcomes him back. Can you imagine the son's feelings at that point? This is the way the Father is with us. We are lost in our sins, wallowing around in the, the slime of sin and the pig slime and all of that other stuff. We come, and even as Isaiah tells us, our good works are filthy rags. And we finally come to the Father and say, I have sinned. And he says, thank you for coming home. Thank you for being my child. And he gives us a hug in spite of all the garbage that we're covered in, in spite of all the filthy rags. And, and in, in Isaiah, when he says filthy rags, he talks about medical discarded rags with blood and pus and that stink and look terrible. And he goes, that is what your good works look like to God. 
and he's coming back. And the father says, I welcome you. And he starts his speech. Father, I have sinned against you. I am, I am I no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. He's practiced this speech. I don't know how far away, how far from home he was, but can you imagine every couple minutes on his way home, this is what I'm going to tell dad. This is what I'm going to tell dad. This is what I'm going to tell dad. It's a well-practiced message by the time he sees dad. And what does he see? He sees his father say, bring him a clean robe and a ring and shoes. What happens when we get saved? God strips off our rags and he puts on the righteousness of Christ, a new robe on us. The Father says here, I'm going to put a clean garment, a perfect garment on you. Give him a ring. Now we don't really recognize rings for what they were back then. They were a power and a symbol of authority. He goes, I'm giving you the family ring. You have the rights of a son again. You are part of the family. You have the right of the family. And then he clothes him with shoes. We know that Paul says the shoes are the, are the gospel message. He cleans up his son and says, you are special. You are still part of the family. This is not what he expected. He expected to have to be one of the lowest servants, and probably the servants would have mistreated him. You know, <laughs> this is the father's, he used to be in charge, look at him now. And he's put right back in position of the family. Just as the father does for us when we get saved. And then he throws a party. Just as with each of the other cases, when the item was found, there was a party a celebration in heaven when one sinner gets saved. I wonder how many parties go on in heaven every day. How many parties are, heaven must be a place full of parties, you know, because people are getting saved all the time right now. And they rejoice. A sinner has come home. A sinner has come home. And there's a big event going on. And then we get to the older brother Older brother comes in. He's been working all day in the field, taking care of the servants probably, helping with the And all of a sudden he gets close to home and he hears the sounds of a party. Have you ever come up on the sounds of a party and, and seen what's going on? Uh, you know, my neighborhood, some of my neighbors have parties all the time. You come home and there's loud music going on and laughing and, and stuff. My newest neighbors are good. They're, they're done by about 10, 11 o'clock at night, so they're not too bad. But they have lots of parties with family going on. He comes up and there's a party going on. Now his first impression probably is, okay, I've been working all day. What is going on? Why is dad having a party and I've been out working all day? So he's already probably a little irritated. There's a party going on and why wasn't I invited? He's already a little irritated. So he calls a servant and then he finds out who the party's for. His brother, who had gone to dad saying, I wish you were dead, give me my money. And now his brother is having a party thrown for him. And he gets really angry. Who was the brother in this story? Basically, the scribes and Pharisees. God, I have been serving you all my life. I have not done anything wrong. And this is what he says. I've, I've been good. I've done everything you wanted. 
I have never taken from you, I have never, and you have not thrown me a party. I have all my good self-righteousness going on and my, and my good works and you, have not been, and you haven't treated me to a party. If you've ever been around self-righteous people, this is how they sound. How can you be blessed by God with the way you've lived? I've been walking after him all my life from, from cradle to, 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 to grave. I've been walking for him and I don't ever feel that happy and, you know, and God's not been pleased with me. Why does that happen? Because the self-righteous don't understand that they need God as much as that person who wallowed around in the pig slime. And Jesus' hardest time came with the self-righteous people who thought they were good and didn't recognize that they were sinners. This elder brother is them. He's not really part of the family either in one sense because he thinks that I belong there. I have earned my place in the family. Now the problem is we don't earn our place in a family. Mom carries you for nine months and then goes through all kinds of pain to get you into the family and you are, you are a member of the family. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are. It doesn't matter what you do. You are part of that family. Now, your parents may like certain family members better because they've been, been better. But you know you're still part of that family. They may look at this person who's out and living in sin and going, well, I wish they would come back to the family and live the way they're supposed to, but they're still part of the family. This elder brother gets mad. And he says, well, everything, everything is yours. I mean, I gave your brother his third. Everything that left belongs to you. But your brother was dead to us, and now he's alive. Do we take that kind of joy when somebody comes to Christ? I love being able to be around new Christians. I love when I pray with somebody and I get to see them come to Christ and the smile that comes across their face, the joy that comes into their life as their sins are lifted off their back. This young man, sins were lifted off the back and he's been dressed up. He is not going to be living as a servant. He is going to be the family. The older brother is still living under the pressure of earning his place. He has not recognized that I am the member of the family, that I belong to the family because I am the family. He is still trying to earn a place. And he tells the father, you haven't ever thrown a party for me. Now, I kind of doubt that that was a true statement. How many times have people made excuses, you know, well, this never happens, or this always happens? You know, uh, in my experience, nothing is always and never, unless God is involved. God always loves us. He never lies. You know, the, when we're talking about God, we can use those absolute statements. But you know, even as, as punctual as I am about getting places, I cannot say that I have never been late. There have been a, a couple of occasions in my lifetime when I have been late. I hate when I'm late. I don't like it. But I can't say that I have never been late. You know, I was working in a restaurant one time and they go, this store always makes mistakes on my, on my orders. And I kind of got, I wasn't in a good mood. And I'm going, well, then you should go to another store if we always make mistakes. 
Now, number one, I knew that we didn't always make mistakes, but you know, just that statement irritated me. Here the brother is saying, I've always been with you. I have never done anything against you, and you're not, you're not celebrating me. The same process as the, the younger brother. What's important? Me. We need to be very careful in our lives that we don't get centered around what is important has to be me. Jesus said that if you want to be first in the kingdom of God, you need to be last. What does that mean? I treat others first. I place their needs first. That doesn't mean that I don't take care of my own needs at all, but how many people do we know that everything is about them? You know, I know people that if it's not about them, they'll make it about them. <laughs> now, if things aren't centered on them, they'll make sure they do things and it's going to be centered on them. <laughs> that is our world today. It's a me world where everything has to be about me. And God says, I want you to serve others. The older brother did not understand that. It was, even though he didn't run off with the father's money, it was still about me. I've always served you. I have always done these things. I have always done good things. And the father still loved him. We need to be very careful about all of this because this is the story of the prodigal son. It is part of all, who we are in many cases. Most of us can find ourselves in one brother or the other. One of the two brothers, neither one of them living for the father. Both of them should have been saying, Dad, can we, have a, can we throw a party for you? You're the one that's important in this story. You know, in this story. They should have been saying, we want, to have a, we want to have a big party for you, Dad. But that wasn't their attitudes for either brother. Both brothers were seeking their own desires. We need to be very careful as we look at this and say, God, I want to seek you. I want to seek others. You know, and one of the things about this, and I've said this several times over the last uh, couple months, if we all did this, we all treated each other as more important than us, and you all did the same thing to everybody else in the church, instead of having one person trying to take care of your needs, we have a small church, we have less than 20 people, but you'd have 19 people taking care of your needs. I think God's way works pretty good if we really truly accept it. Treat one another better than ourselves and then watch if everybody else does the same thing, we get treated well anyway. We need to understand that's the case. We pour out our lives to other. Paul said, I have poured myself out to you churches. There have been other places where he said, and you guys have poured back out to me. He goes, you have met my needs. You have done these things. He goes, but I have poured myself out completely to you. And they had took care of him. God will take care of us through others when we reach out and we take care of them. This is the biggest part of the prodigal son. The, the older brother kind of gets left out of the story a lot, but he is just as bad as the brother, except that he doesn't leave. But everything about him is, I've got to earn my place in this family. You know, I've got to prove to them that I belong. And God, I, Father, I have never done anything wrong. I've been really good. I have met these people. I have met, I've met lots of the older brothers in my lifetime in different churches you know, that are 
you know, I have been in this church since the beginning of this church, and you've got to listen to me because I've been around forever. You know, it's, you know, it's like, well, who are, you, what, who are you with God? Well, you know, I grew up. I, I, was in the, I was in the nursery. I was in that cradle. You know, I was in this church from the first day my mom was out of the hospital. I've been in this church, and I've been here ever since. Okay, wonderful, but what do you know about God? And this is really what it amounts to. What do we know about God? Do we show God's love? Do we show his heart to other people? When people look at us, are they seeing a representation, as imperfect as it is, but are they seeing a representation of God's love, his mercy, his care? We are his church. We are the ones that reach out to other people. We do not want to be the older brother. We really don't want to be the younger brother either. We want to be the one that says, God, I follow you wholeheartedly the whole time. Now, it's hard not to be the older or younger brother because usually we have to come to our senses somewhere. Hopefully, the older brother came to his senses at some point. But at the end of the story, the older brother had not come to his senses. He was still living in his self-righteousness. And to be honest with you, the church is made up of really good, strong people that are the younger brother, that have hit the wrong rock bottom and said, hey, sin wasn't the answer. Every once in a while, you'll get an older brother who finally comes to his senses and say, you know what? I'm nothing. I need, I need God. We need people that are going to say, God, you're number one. I trust you. God, I have sinned against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me your servant. And he says, fine, I'll make you my servant, but you're also my child. And a matter of fact, you're part of the bride of Christ. You are going to be so precious to us. This is the message of the prodigal son. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we go about our business. Lord, for anybody listening to you, Lord, if there's anybody that's a prodigal son right now that needs to come to their senses, we ask that they will repent and they say, God, I have sinned. I need your forgiveness for my sin and come to you. And then they will seek out a Christian to disciple them. Lord, if there's any of us that are Christians that are living as the older brother or even as the younger brother in sin and walling, we ask that you bring us to our senses and bring us back to you in confession of you. And we just thank you for all that you've done. Lord, help us to walk in your favor. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. 
You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.